topic today has to do with Tish Abaab. <clears throat> Tish Abaab is literally means the ninth day of the month of Ab, which we're in now in the book of Zechariah, verse eight, verse nineteen. It says, "This is what the Lord Almighty says: the fasts of the fourth, the fifth, seventh, and tenth months." will become joyful and glad occasions and happy festivals for Judah. Therefore, love truth and peace. And so it's mentioning here this, this fast on, that's in the fifth month. And that's where we're in now. We're in the fifth month. And so this very well could be the fast that it's referring to. It also mentions a fast in the seventh month. Which, month, which fast would that be? In the seventh month? Rosh Hashanah, not Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, right, Yom Kippur, exactly, right, and so, uh, but it says God will turn these fasting times, and these, especially as we'll see this one is not just fasting, but uh, fasting with mournfulness, uh, into glad occasions and happy festivals, therefore love, truth, and peace. So, the ninth day of the Hebrew month of Av, the Av being, Av being the fifth month of the year. And so that is where we're at on the calendar. And so this year comes out on starting on Monday night and all day Tuesday. Now it's a fast day because in 586 BCE, the temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar on Tisha B'Av. And so it's commemorating the destruction of, of the temple and of Jerusalem and being taken captive to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. After 70 years in, in Babylon, God prophesied we'd come back. And after Babylon, the Medo-Persians came in and we were allowed to come back to Israel and back to uh, Jerusalem. And as is prophesied in uh, Daniel chapter nine and other places, uh, we were able to rebuild the temple. And so it was rebuilt and uh, by Nehemiah and Ezra and people who came out of exile. And then that same temple, that same location, was destroyed, this time in 70 CE, by Titus, also on Tisha B'Av. So, I mean, that's where, again, now we get the double meaning to it as a fast day and mourning for Jerusalem. Uh, you know, I mean, if you could think about, you know, if your house burned down and, and then you rebuilt it on the same location, a few years later on the very anniversary that it burned the first time, it burns down the second time, right? You know, it kind of puts it into perspective there. There are a number of other events that uh, have taken place on Tisha B'Av that have been negative. But, uh, you know, it's not very hard to look into history and find any day in the calendar year where... Uh, where there's been negative things that have happened to our people. But, uh, but we're still here today, right? But two very significant things that had to do with the same thing, the temple of the Lord, happened on Tisha B'Av, on the ninth of Av. Some of the other things, uh, the first crusade began and many thousand Jewish people were killed. That's in the year 1096. Then in 1290, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, 1290, uh, King Edward I of England expelled the Jewish people out of England. And 
other persecutions. Then in France did the same thing. A few years later, in 1306, expelled us out of France, expelled us out of England and then out of France, and we're seeing what's happening in England and France today. It's happening all over again. And then in 1492, Spain and King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella, who are those two people known for in history? Columbus. Columbus, that's right. They gave Columbus birth to Columbus, right? They're the parents of Columbus, is that what you mean? No. No. <laughs> they financed, that's right, they financed the uh, sailing of the uh, Columbus voyage to, uh, to discover the uh, place that was already here, right? The, uh, the Americas, right? Well, they also, uh, the day, I think it was the day before, or the day after, I forget how it goes, uh, expelled all the Jewish people out of Spain. And some people theorize that's why Columbus put this whole thing together, to find a new world so the Jewish people would have a place to go. Right. Um, uh, some people believe he might have been Jewish, there's a big debate on that, but uh, there were people on his boat that were Jewish. Uh, I forget who was his recorder or his treasurer or someone up in a position on his, uh, on his ship. Uh, that means the name was Torres. Uh, that was Jewish on, on, on Columbus's boat. Okay, so today it's a fast day, a continuing fast day, uh, just as it mentioned in the Bible there. Um, morning for the temple in Jerusalem. And there's a picture of the Western Wall. Uh, the wall that, the retaining wall, where the Temple Mount is, where the Temple was on top of. Okay, so, I mentioned Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD, so now we're going to review that a little bit. The events taking place just prior to 70 CE, when Titus destroyed the Temple. In Matthew 24, verse 2, Yeshua said, Do, not, do you not see all the building, these buildings, of the temple. And so that temple, the one that Nehemiah and Ezra had rebuilt, the second temple as it's known, right? Uh, Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the first one. We came back, this is what we just said before. Uh, so now we're just kind of reviewing a little bit and seeing the application for us today. It was rebuilt and then Herod comes along and then Herod doesn't build the temple, Herod just kind of remodels it. And so it becomes known in history as Herod's temple. But again, it was originally started and built hundreds of years before Herod by Nehemiah and Ezra. And so he rebuilds it and looks something like this uh, on the Temple Mount. And so Yeshua is on the Mount of Olives and he says to his disciples, uh, do you not see all of these buildings of the temple? And the disciples were all awed by it. Beautiful white marble just shining, sun uh, rising over the Mount of Olives and Yeshua says, Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. That's an amazing prophecy. Yeshua said that in, in the 30s, almost 40 years later, that very prophecy is fulfilled when Titus comes into Jerusalem and destroys the temple and throws the stones down from the top of the Temple Mount over the Western Wall and the other walls and throws them down. And these are some of the remains of those stones. You can see behind us the Western Wall still standing. That's again just a retaining wall. But these stones here are from the Temple. 
Those are the actual stones of the temple. And here's, uh, again, just another view. A couple of people from the Poritia who came with us Israel this past year. Look at the size of those stones. I mean, so they had to bust these up. They were, you know, square and all built the temple together, and they busted these things to pieces and then pushed them. I mean, I don't know what it would take to push some of these things, oops, sorry about that, to roll them, you know, off of the, uh, to the edge and then push them over. There's some, another couple of people, and then just to push them over the edge and uh, just crush the very thick uh, stone pavement, which had hard stone underneath it, just crushed it. Um, and so the size of some of the stones that remain there today right outside the western wall. Okay, so the disciples asked, when will these things be? And what is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And so he's saying these, the temple is going to be destroyed. Now one stone is going to be uh, on, one, on top of each other. They'll all be thrown down. And they said, oh my, that's got to be the end of the world. When's that going to happen? And when will be the end of the world then? Well, really, it's kind of two questions, because we know that wasn't the end of the world. So when will these things be? When will the, the stones be thrown down, as he originally said? And they also asked, and what is the sign of your coming and the end of the age, the end of the world? as we know it today. And then Yeshua goes into this discourse throughout the rest of this chapter, explaining what the signs were that both fulfilled the destruction of that temple and the stones being thrown down and not one upon another, just as he said, as well as the signs of his coming and the end of the age. And so he uses these two questions, which the disciples had in their mind was one event, and he spoke it as if it was one event, but he gives a dual prophecy. He says one prophecy that applies to two different events, one foreshadowing the other. One describing the destruction of Jerusalem by Titus, and one the end of this age and his coming. So that's where Tisha B'Av, the destruction of the temple, will have significance to us today. As we understand what took place just prior to the destruction of the temple, we will see the signs for our day. So Yeshua said, take heed that no one deceives you. That's important right there. Many will come in my name saying I am the Messiah and will deceive many. Now we've had a little bit of that. But I don't necessarily know if we consider that as many. So we can expect there will be more of that going on. Many type of Messiah is coming, and it will deceive many. So far, the ones that have come have deceived a few. They're saying many will be deceived by this deception. And there'll be wars and rumors of wars. And one way we're going to see by the time we get to the end of the chapter, how we'll know between a false Messiah coming and the real Messiah coming. When Messiah comes, there'll be something that Satan or any imitation will not be able to duplicate. But many will still be deceived, as it says here. Many will come, so there will be many type of messiahs, and many will be deceived. It says there will be wars and rumors of wars, but be not troubled. All these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. There will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. 
All these are the beginnings of sorrows. I just had someone just this week say to me, do you think that, uh, you know, these wars that are taking place right now and these events that are taking place right now, do you think this is, you know, it? And I've heard that, you know, before I was born. <laughs> you know, all these different wars. This is it, this is, this is it. And Yeshua said, no, there's going to be wars, rumors of wars, but don't be troubled. These things must happen, but the end is not yet. The wars are not a sign of the end. We've had them, and we will have them, and have always had them, and they will continue. But it's not necessarily a sign. There'll be nations rising against nations, and we've had that. There'll be famines, pestilence, earthquakes, we're having that, we've had that. Those are the beginnings of sorrow. Many of the things we're seeing could be the beginnings of these. Then, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. That's when it gets serious. And when they kill you, that is a sign of the end. <laughs> At least for you. <laughs> That's the end, you know. You don't have to worry about anything after that. All the rest of the signs after that really don't matter a whole lot. <laughs> They will deliver you up to tribulation. All these things we saw happened just prior to 70 AD. They will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. That's very clear. That's what Yeshua said. He got all the other prophecies right. I'm sure he's got this one right too. And we have had times, the Dark Ages, where there were many killed, many, many, many killed um, for believing in Yeshua following him, for following his word down through the ages and it's still happening today. Not on the massive scales, um, but it's going to happen again. And um, so we need to just know that, be prepared for it by having our hearts and our lives secure with God. And you know, again, this life is not the end. It's the end of this age for us, but it's not the end as we trust in the Lord, right? Because uh, he promises a resurrection and new heavens and new earth. So we don't have to worry about tribulation. We don't have to worry about being killed. God will take us through it or he'll let us die, whatever the case. Um, they've been suffering down through the ages. All the disciples suffered. So suffering will come. I don't know if that text is quoted very often. I don't know. Have you heard that quoted? You know, in sermons very much, you know. Oh, I'm glad you came here today and you continue to come here. You are going to receive tribulation and you're going to get killed. <laughs> it's just not a real popular, you know, one that people, you know, say a lot, but we're here to discuss the Bible and read what the Bible has to say. And that's what Yeshua said, and it's fact. It's going to happen. So many of those that will be deceived will be following the ones who will be saying, love, 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 just all join hands together. We're going to unite together. And, uh, you know, just, just nothing's going to happen to you. You're not going to get hurt. You're going to be prosperous. You're going to have the prosperity. I pray prosperity upon you and bless you with prosperity. And you're going to be rich and healed and wonderful and everything's going to be great. That's not the picture that uh, Yeshua painted. He said, they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations. Would that include our nation? Yes. Well, I think that falls under all, doesn't it? Yes. Be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Then many will be offended, if they weren't offended before, right? and will betray one another and will hate one another. Now he's not talking about all those nations and all those people hating us. He's talking about 
Judas is in the camp. And people get offended. People get, they don't want to do, go through the tribulation. They don't want to die until so they switch sides. And will hate one another and betray one another. Horrible, horrible. I think that maybe some of our own family, or some of our own congregation might turn against us and cause us to have tribulation or to be killed. That happened with Yeshua, right? One of his own 12, Judas, betrayed him. That's what it's describing here. So again, I don't know if this is quoted very much or very popular uh, you know, teachings, but nonetheless, it's in the Bible. And uh, we need to know it, cover it, and realize this is what's going to And that's why I think a lot of people are going to be deceived. Because we close our ears to this. Don't tell me that. La, 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 la. Right? But that's what the Bible says. What we need to do is pray that, uh, like the disciples prayed when Yeshua said, one of you will betray me. Lord, is it I? Is there anything in my life that would cause me to betray you? Reveal it or, or your children, your people. Reveal it, convict me, convert me, take it out of my life, nail it into your son, let him die for it, and take it away from me. Whatever tendency would be in me that would cause me to be a betrayer, remove it now. And God will set us free from that. Verse 11. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because of lawlessness, living without law, lawlessness will abound, and the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. So to make it to the end is going to take endurance. We're not going to just be poofed out of here or anything like that. God's going to take us through and he's going to give us the power to endure. Just as he's done down through the ages. Paul survived many tribulations. And God gave him the power to endure. Daniel taken to Babylon, tempted, tried, persecuted, tempted to be killed. God gave him the power to endure. Friends, Mishael, Shadrach, uh, Meshach, and Abednego, the Hebrew name is Mishael. I don't know if there's left name, but Ananiah. Uh, Ananiah. An Azariah. Thank you very much. Um, they, God gave them the power to endure and saw them through. Right? Stood in the furnace with them. Again, down through the age of Joseph, many others. Right? And so, Yeshua. And so, God will give us the power to endure to the end. We don't have to fear that God won't give us the power to endure. We have to fear that we have sin in our hearts that would cause us to betray him. We don't have to fear the outside. We have to fear the inside. So I work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not from fear and trembling on the outside, fear and trembling of what's in my heart. Knowing that it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He will give us the power to will and to do and to endure to the end. So there will be lawlessness, and we're seeing that happening more and more. Laws are being compromised. Laws are being taken down. Laws are being changed. And so we're seeing that happening right now, and laws are just being ignored all the way up the ranks. And so just lawlessness is being encouraged. And also within professed Bible believers. And they say God's law is done away with. 
They're teaching lawlessness. And then we're reaping the results of that. Got generations of, well, God's law can be changed and God's law can be done away with. Well, then it doesn't matter what I do. And so we're reaping the results of that. Love of many is growing cold. We're seeing that. Children hating their parents and no respect for authority or elders anymore. I mean, things are just changing so rapidly. The love of many is growing very cold. And the heartless things that are taking place in this world right now, just horrible. Horrible. Unbelievable. We never thought of it 20 years ago. But it's happening just openly and brazenly right now. And so, then, so he goes through to, to the end, and now, oh, and then, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. That is the major sign. That's the sign we need to be focusing on. The wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, pestilence, all these other things. And pestilences are happening more and more. There's an outbreak now, killing many people, things are taking place. But those are just the beginning of sorrows. Those things will come and go. But this is the sign. This is where it ends with, then the end will come. And this, by taking the gospel to the world, that's what then brings about the persecution and the tribulation. When we start to share God's grace and share God's love, they hate the face of the one who sits on the throne. They hate the wrath of the Lamb of God. So as we talk to them about the Lamb of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, carnal hearts resist that and then want to persecute and kill the messengers just as they did to Yeshua, just as they did to Joseph, David, you know, everyone else lived godly lives, Moses. So, so we take the gospel to the world. That's what brings about the end of this world. And then the new heavens and new earth. You know, people go into all the red moons and all this stuff, you know. It's not about red moons. <laughs> it's about taking the gospel to the world. Then the end shall come. That's the sign we need to be looking at. That's where our focus needs to be. And so he goes through that, he takes us to the end, and then he kind of goes back now and kind of reviews it a little bit more and gives it some different details. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Do you think Yeshua wants us to understand what he's talking about here? What is this abomination of desolation? We don't have time to get into the whole thing of abomination and desolation, but we have a, a series of surviving and thriving in these last days, a video series, which go into much more detail. God wants us to understand the, Dan, the prophet Daniel and the prophecies of Daniel and to understand what is this abomination of desolation. Because that's a sign. And it's happening. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let him who is in the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. That's exactly what was happening. 70 AD and they were about. Rome had come and had surrounded Jerusalem, laid siege to Jerusalem, had attacked other parts of Israel and working their way through, surrounded Jerusalem for his attack. And at some point, for some strange unknown reason, 
the Roman soldiers pulled back and started to leave for no seeming reason. Well, the Jewish fighters thought this is our opportunity, and they rushed out of the city, chased after them, and slaughtered many of them. And believers saw this as the sign that Yeshua talked about, or not that as the sign, but saw the signs taking place, saw this was the time to get out of the city and go to the hills, as we just read, and they left the city and they fled to the hills and, the, and they hid there. Well, when Rome heard about what had happened, they sent in some more garrisons, even more than before, laid siege again until they destroyed it. And the soldiers were just so enraged, being out in the hot desert and all that was taking place and, and, and the battles that had taken place. And, uh, I mean, Israel revolting because we didn't have the religious liberty. Other nations under Rome weren't doing that. And so uh, Titus wanted to spare the temple. And he told the people to, you know, don't destroy the temple. But someone shot a fire arrow branded arrow, firing arrow, into, and it went inside the door, and stuck into one of the cedar walls, and the whole thing went on fire, and blazed, and uh, burned. Well, inside the temple, there was gold everywhere. The gold melted into the rocks. And so the soldiers, in wanting to get to the gold, tore the temple apart. And also just in their anger, we're not going to let you guys build anything more here again, and threw them over the side. We see here in this artist's rendition, we have some of the soldiers carrying the menorah out of the temple. We know that took place because Titus, when he got back to Rome, they built a big, huge archway commemorating the destruction of Jerusalem and this event. And it's called Titus's Arch. So they marched you know, and, um, back down to Rome. And inside this archway is a carved depiction of that very scene. I'm going to zoom in here a little bit. You can see there's you know, beautiful carvings all around this arch. Right? And there you see the menorah. And it's not soldiers carrying it look like probably Jewish slaves that were forced to carry it down to, to uh, Rome, up to Rome. You see some other articles of furniture. You see some trumpets on the right-hand side there. And you also see three placards or standards, one in the left, one right in the middle of the picture next to the menorah, and one on the right, right above the trumpets there. And so three of this small, what have we got, you know, 10 people or so there, uh, small little area they made sure that they had carved into this relief these two of the objects of, of the temple and these three standards. These were the Roman standards. These were the Roman that they stood under. This was kind of like their, their motto. Each one had their, their each uh, army uh, group of hundreds or whatever had their standards. And it wasn't just kind of their banner sign, it was their allegiance and on there were the symbols of their gods, the gods. And so this is part of that abomination of desolation standing in the holy place. 
the bringing of the gods of Rome into the holy place and defiling uh, the holy place with the images of Rome. Again, this is foreshadowing the last days. Back to Matthew 24, verse 19. Woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babes and though in those days. Serious time. He's saying he's better off not getting pregnant, better off not having a child. It's going to be tough. It's going to be rough. He's not saying don't have children, but he's saying if you haven't, have, have children, and it happens to be at that time, it's going to be rough. Pray that your flight, verse 20, pray, pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath day. And as they prayed that in 70 AD, the temple wasn't destroyed in the winter, it was destroyed in August time, July, August, depending on the calendar year. So in the middle of summer. So their prayer was answered. They didn't have to flee in the winter time, nor was it a Sabbath day. Now it's interesting that Yeshua would say that. Pray that your flight would not be in the Sabbath day. If he, like some people teach, did away with the Sabbath day or changed the Sabbath day or whatever, then why would he say that? Why would he say pray that your flight's not in the Sabbath if he wasn't expecting them 40 years later or 2,000 years later to be keeping the Sabbath? So obviously he did believe that we should be keeping the Sabbath, that God's Ten Commandments, law, should still be in existence. He did not teach lawlessness. And so he encouraged them to pray. And so we also should be praying that when our time of flight has to come, tribulations come as they come seeking us out to kill us, that our flight doesn't have to be in the winter or on the Sabbath day. Then there will be a great tribulation such as not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. That's where now he's talking about the very end of time, not 70 AD time. Tribulation such as the world has never seen. So we haven't seen anything yet. It was bad during the Dark Ages. It's been bad down through the ages. It was bad in 70 AD. I mean, as they came through and slaughtered, I mean, just horrible, the whole Masadist thing, and just horrible, horrible things. It's going to be even worse. But God will see us through just as all those things happened in 70 AD and all those things happened with Babylon, we're still here today as a people. We have survived. The Roman Empire, as, as the Roman Empire, it's kind of morphed and stuff, but that's a whole other story, but the Roman Empire as it was is not in existence. Babylon, as that nation was, is no longer in existence, and we can go down the line, but we are still here. God has given us the power to endure down through the ages been attempts and attempts and attempts to annihilate us, but God has preserved us. Yes, many martyrs down through the ages, yes, many have died along the way, but God is able to preserve. And again, death is not the end. And so yes, there'll be great tribulation, but we don't have to fear. We need to hold fast to God, because he who endures to the end shall be saved. And there's more with God than there are against. All his angels, his heavenly angels. And if he chooses to protect us, he can protect us even if our whole village is surrounded with soldiers. As with Elijah, open my servant's eyes and I'll see there's many more heavenly agents on God's side 
and would try to attack us. If God chooses to deliver us, then he will. If he chooses to let us die, whatever. As long as he gets the honor and glory and that our lives are sealed with him. Verse 22. Unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. So as intense as it's going to be, it's going to get so intense that it's almost as if the whole world is going to get annihilated. Which is a pretty amazing prophecy because I don't think up until just recent history that could have even possibly have happened. I don't think it was possible for humans to totally kill each other to the, to the point of extinction. So Yeshua saw 2,000 years in advance and saw our nuclear age. Pretty amazing. But he won't let us destroy ourselves. He will shorten it because he's going to protect his children. There will be a remnant that will go through the tribulation till his coming, and we will see his coming. There will be martyrs along the way, but God will preserve a remnant for himself. He will shorten it beforehand. And if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there, don't believe it. Kind of where he started. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders. So they'll heal people, maybe even make it look like they raised someone from the dead. Maybe look like they've healed people. Great signs and wonders. Satan is a deceiver. He can work tricks and magic, make things appear. It's not about signs. Be looking at signs. Let me go following signs. Be great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. The deception will be so strong if we don't hold fast to the word of God. If we're believers, we could be deceived. Hold fast to the word of God. I have told you beforehand, if they say, look, he is here in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. This is what is a sign. This is the, the issue that Yeshua will not step foot on this earth again for the destruction of this earth as we know it. The false messiahs will be here and there, but that will be the sign that we can know the true messiah from the false messiah. As lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered. Saying the sign of the coming of the Son of Man, and then he's talking about carcasses, dead bodies, where eagles will gather, and vultures will gather to eat these dead carcasses. And immediately, verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. I mentioned some things here. Doesn't mention blood moon right here. Mentioned some other places, but not here. Not in this chapter at all. But the moon shall not give her light, the sun will be darkened, the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Immediately after the tribulation of those days. Then 
the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So he's coming on the clouds. We will see him on the clouds. We won't see him in Jerusalem. We won't see him in Waco, Texas. We won't see him in some desert place anywhere. We won't see him in some hotel in Seattle. We won't see him in a secret inner place. We won't see him in the, on the, even on the Temple Mount, even if they built the third temple or whatever. We won't be in any inner place. Won't be the true Messiah. The true Messiah we will see in the clouds. Every eye shall see him in the clouds. That's where we will see him. So look up, for your redemption draws nigh. Don't look to this earth. Don't look to the things on this earth. The Satan will come and impersonate and do all kinds of things, but it will all be on this earth. Quoting the Bible, doing things like Yeshua did, and healing miracles and things like that. Great signs and wonders. Believe in not. And all the world will be following. We go, no, 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 that's not the right one. What do you think they'll do? How dare you say that's not the right one? He's doing healings. He's doing these things. You're the troublemakers. He's bringing peace and safety. Look, he's brought peace here and peace here, and you guys are the troublemakers. You're the blowing the party. You're the party poopers. You know, they're all following, all the way following. Going, no, no, he's coming on the clouds. This is the false one. You're not going to be happy about that. Comes on the clouds with great glory. As it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 4. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel, with the shofar of God, trumpet of God, and the dead in Messiah will rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the clouds, in the sky. It takes us to meet him. The angels come down, they gather up the elect, and they bring us up to meet him. Not until after that that, we'll, that he sets his feet on the Mount of Olives. That's after this all this. It's kind of an interesting picture depicting it. The city's being destroyed. The brightness of his coming. It says the wicked will be destroyed with the brightness of his coming. That's where he said where the carcasses are. The eagles will be gathered. And so the wicked are destroyed at the brightness of his coming. And we that went hidden the rocks in the, in the mountains, waiting his coming, looking for his coming. Sheep and the goats, right? Should we gave several parables like this. The sheep will be taken and put into the barns, and the, and the goats will be separated, or the wheat and the tares. The wheat will be placed into the barns, and the tares will be taken outside and burned simultaneously. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the heaven to the other. So parallel to 2 Thessalonians. The angels come and gather us up and take us to meet the Lord in the air. Thus we shall ever be with the Lord. The wicked are destroyed, the cities are destroyed world is destroyed and God's vengeance is taken out on this earth. 
And then God creates a new heavens and a new earth. And it's after he creates a new heavens and a new earth that he comes and descends, or at that time, comes and descends and lands on the Mount of Olives. But that's after the second coming and after all of those events. And he creates a beautiful new heavens and Garden of Eden all over again when there truly will be peace on earth and goodwill to men. God's course has to run. It's, it's course. God allows it all to happen, all that tribulation and all, because that's what reveals the real character. That's what reveals those who are really on his side. You go through that great tribulation, that such as has never been seen. It'll be plain to all the world who are on God's side and who are not. Who have chosen to follow the false messiahs and, and, and ease, and who have chosen, even through troubles and difficulties and death of loved ones, to endure to the end, holding fast to the word, to truth, as we read in Zechariah. Therefore, right, that the, the, the fast, the morning fast days will be turned into rejoicing. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. Right now, there are a lot of peaceniks running around wanting to try and bring some peace agreements to this world, but with no truth as a basis. And you can't have true peace without an understanding of the truth that's going on. So we need both. We need love and mercy and peace, and to be peace-loving and peace-desiring, but also to love God's truth. And God's word is truth comes above it all. Be wonderful for all the world to get along and in the new heavens and new earth and we will but to get together and all unify here under false pretenses under lawlessness under false messiahs and false prophets it's not worth the peace is not worth it if truth is not there it has to be true because it won't be lasting and so it'll be revealed not only to all of us but to all the Heavenly beings, to all the unfallen angels, to everybody who is truly on God's side. As the true character of the wicked, as they start to persecute and harass God's people, it'd be revealed whose side they're on and whose side they'd be on for eternity and who are the true ones who are truly on God's side, no matter what. And it's by making that commitment today and making that commitment every day and allowing God to transform our hearts allowing him to take out of us everything that defiles, allowing him to take out of us everything that would cause us to stumble, everything that would cause us to turn away, all fear, all worry, <clears throat> all seeking of our own pleasure, our own ease. Allow him to remove all that selfish character out of us. He will take it as we confess it, surrender it to him. He will take it out of us to let the old nature die Take us and place us in the Messiah. We will die with the Messiah. And he will resurrect us to newness of life and spiritual description by filling us with the Holy Spirit. That he might live out his life in us here and now. And he will give us the power to endure with truth and with peace in our hearts and our minds. We'll take out any anger, any revenge, any bitterness. Because that's what it's going to be like in heaven. He wants us to have that character now and in the life to come. And so as we 
look at these things and realize that time is short. We're seeing some of these things already taking place. The gospel is going to the world. There's a lot of areas it still needs to go. And God's calling us to be able to do that. And we have a wonderful opportunity as God has brought a lot of the world to here. We can share God's word with a lot of these people from all these other countries and they can go, whether they go back or they just Facebook back or they just email back or send letters back, they still have connections there. We have a wonderful opportunity just even here in this city and in this country. But also maybe God's calling some of us to actually go. The gospel has to go to the world. This time is running out. We want to see him and we want to go home. Be with him. And so as we look at Tisha B'Av and the horrible things that took place and the Jewish tradition has added a bunch of other things on, fall of Adam and Eve or whatever, I don't know, a whole bunch of things. I can't prove it was on the you know, ninth of Av, but I don't know, there's a whole bunch of things there. But we don't have to fear even the day. We need to be praying that no calamity happens this coming Monday night, Tuesday. But we don't have to be afraid. Because we don't believe in superstition. We don't believe that the day is bad. God allowed both those temples to be destroyed on that day to get our attention. To, the, to this prophecy, the prophecies regarding the temple and the importance of the temple, and we don't forget the temple. So use that, you know, putting both of them on that same day to, to, to have it stand out in that way. And it reminds us of why they got destroyed. Both times was because we weren't following God wholeheartedly. It's not a coincidence. No, it wasn't a coincidence. God allowed it, but he allowed it not that because the day is an omen day or a black day or, you know, whatever, something like that, you know. Great things can happen on that day. And I'm sure we looked in Israel, I'm sure we can find a lot of positive things that happen on that day as well. And again, if we want to look hard enough, we can find horrible things that happen on that day as well. The day itself is not an evil day. We don't, again, believe in superstition. But we do have to take the warning of what happened, why God allowed those temples to be destroyed, and that we follow God wholeheartedly. With all our heart, we love him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. And the only way to do that is by allowing him to come into our heart. Allowing him to come into our mind. Allow him to give us his strength. Allow him to work in us and through us. We can't conjure up that kind of love. We can't conjure up that kind of devotion. But he can give it to us as we allow him to take control of our lives. For his honor and for his glory. Thus we can live right on into eternity. Amen. And even if he takes some of us, of all of us, all through the tribulation, to see him coming, seeing him coming, and being caught up with the angels and going straight up to heaven, it'll be worth it all. It'll be worth it all. So as we pray tonight, and as we prepare for the Lord's return, and prepare by sharing God's love, his truth and his peace with those that we come in contact with. If there's any area in our lives that needs to be removed, confessed, give it over to God tonight. If there's any fears, surrender it to him. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we come before you and we are thankful for the warnings. We are thankful that you've brought our attention to this, this, these events, destruction of the temples. We are thankful that you gave us the temple that beautifully outlined your plan of salvation, the lambs, 
being slain for our forgiveness. Lord, we want to receive your forgiveness. We want to receive your cleansing. We're thankful, Yeshua, that you came as the Lamb of God. You take away our sins. Take away the power of the sin over us. We're thankful that you live and and are alive and able to come and live inside us through your Holy Spirit, your Ruach HaKodesh. Do that right now, Lord. Cleanse us of everything that would cause us to betray you in the future or cause us to betray our family or our friends or, or believers. Cleanse our hearts and minds. Reveal to us now anything still there, any shortcomings, any anger, any bitterness, any fears, any selfishness, anything that would cause us to cherish this life more than the life to come, remove it now and fill us with your glory. Fill us with your power. Fill us with your mind. Fill us with truth. Fill us with peace. Give us the grace to share that with others. In Yeshua's holy day. Amen. Amen.